I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the film podcast where two movies with something in common go head-to-head to figure out which one shat the bed. On Monday, we enjoyed good music and some Carmageddon with the Blues Brothers, meaning today our sole purpose is the commitment. Hey, what's this? What's what? Have you got soul? If so, the world's hardest working band is looking for you. Contact Jay Rabbit. I'm putting a band together. Do you need a singer? Wise men say... Well, what kind of music are we going to be playing, Jimmy? Soul. Soul? That's what you've got to measure up to, lads. Well, like, maybe we're a little white. But which one wins? You're about to find out in Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Chris Tilly. I'm Vicky Crompton. And still no Alex, as he's sick. We miss you, Alex. Particularly as these are your choices. <laughs> um, so why? Why did he pick them? Who knows? I can't remember. In his brain, it made sense. Uh, they both have music in them. Yeah. They both have very good music in them. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's start with a listener review, as is Alex's want. I've made it too small and I can't read it from here. <laughs> uh, it is a, it's a nice review this week. I hope. Well, they normally are, aren't they? Yeah. They're normally a bit cheeky. I don't mean the ones that we get in. Like on, on balance, are they nice? Just the ones that you select. Yes. This is from Arnold Cope, who says, makes me happy. You know when it's a great podcast, when you forget it's a podcast and you feel like you just sat with some good friends talking movies, just excellent five stars. Lovely. Very nice. Solid. Thank you, Arnold Scope. Uh, Arnold Cope, even. Uh, yeah. Anyone else, if you fancy dropping us a review, we do appreciate it. It does help. It does make a difference. It makes Vicky feel good about herself. It does. And that's what we want. That's all we want. Um, so we should get into this. All right. We? Yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. On Monday, we got the blues. <laughs> yeah. I mean, today we're enjoying some soul. Vicky, take us on a journey. 
The Irish are the black people of Europe. Well, no, European black people are the black people of Europe, but no matter, as Jimmy Rabbit helps his white friends to appreciate a new lens through which to experience their poverty and disenfranchisement, that of soul, which they love and are great at singing, turning them into the commitments of really solid wedding covers band. Does immersing themselves in the spiritually intense music of African-American struggles for social equity and liberation ignite their own burgeoning class consciousness into the flames of collective rebellion, enabling them to move as one off the estate and to the halls of power to demand justice? No, because they fucking hate each other. The girls hate each other because they're mad jealous over each of the others shagging literally the creepiest man you've ever met, (laughs) a religious nutbag liar. And the boys hate lead singer Deco because they're jealous that he can procure cream cakes in snooker halls. So the band burn brightly, then collapse. And that's kind of it. But no matter. This film lives and dies by its toe-tapping, infectious energy and feel-good vibes, like an Irish fame or a Bugsy Malone for the 90s. It's the film that launched a thousand tribute acts and meant that from 1991 until still now, in any pub or holiday park, in any working-class area anywhere, you are 1,000 times more likely to hear a live version of Must Thanks, Sally, than literally any other song ever written. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've made myself laugh. So, uh, this film does mean... uh, A a 90s version of Bugsy Malone. What are you talking about? I'm struggling. I'm trying trying to thread the Alan Parker needle. Sure, sure. I get it. it, It's fine. It's fine. Okay. So, my mum and dad went to see this film at the cinema. Yep. And then we had the tape, and um, which we were playing my dad's car, and they would sing along. And then the minute it came out on VHS, we sat down to watch it as a family, which I don't remember the swearing, but obviously there is a ton of swearing in it. But it's just a really nice memory. Like the soundtrack for this film was on in our house for years and years and years. And what I say about Mustang Sally, like, you, if you come out with me at any point, at any holiday I've been on in the UK and any time I've been out in Blackburn or any of the B-towns in Lancashire, mm. there is some person doing a really, really good job of Mustang Sally. Mm. The first time I heard it, I was like, that's a great song. I can barely listen to it now because yeah. I'm a bit sick of it. But it just, I don't, I mean, so many of these songs, the first time I heard them was on this soundtrack. Sure. Same for like with you, with you and the Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Similar, actually. I mean, I was old enough to see this at the cinema. I think I was about 13 when it came out, and it was a 15. So I went with my mates and really enjoyed it. But the, the, the key about this film is exactly what you say. This was such a big family film back then. I remember watching this with my parents. I probably watched this three or four times in the early 90s. And, you know, told them the other day, we're doing the commitments. And it's like, oh, it puts a smile on everyone's face because everyone yeah. has good memories of watching this film and having this soundtrack. Um, but it's funny, it's a film, you know, I was desperate to do it with Sing Street because I think they've got a similar sensibility. Um, but... Equally, I haven't watched it since the early 90s, so I wasn't sure how it had dated and whether I would still like it. And it's funny, I watched it twice last week because I was enjoying it. I enjoyed it so much. Oh, really? And um, I, can't, I, I can't listen to Mustang Sally now. No. <laughs> I'd forgotten that it was so overplayed at the time, but it's been overplayed for me now last week. And yeah. so it's done my head in. But yeah, I, I didn't think it had dated. Um, and I think it's still a lovely film. Yeah. You know, it's just a really... You know, I like those British feel-good films. Billy Elliot, Full Monty, this one, Hear My Song. They share a humour and, and, and a niceness. And a, it's, 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 they're, they can be a little bit edgy, mm. but just not too edgy that you can't watch with your folks or your kids. And it's just got some of that. It's, it does have a little bit of Hollywood pizzazz on it. Like, you, you know, the film starts at the market and the estate and, it, you know... 
those are all very familiar scenes to us, and you could be like, "Oh, it's grim and it's awful, and this is about our struggles." But it's just got a little, spr- like especially like Billy Elliot, like a little sprinkle mm. of film magic. Yeah, but it never loses sight of its roots. I don't think, which is so important about the way they shot it, the way they cast it. Well, we'll talk about the way they wrote it because that that is quite funny. I know you're 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 going to get annoyed by that, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, and, and it, what I really was looking forward to as well was delving into the stuff behind the scenes because, you know, you, you, you're a Roddy Doll fan. I'd forgotten that this was based on a book. And so it was really interesting. There's like three documentaries on the DVD that I bought. And it's funny, there's one at the time, there's one 10 years later and there's one 25 years later. And it's it's fun, it's sad watching people age or it's it's interesting, you yeah. know, but it's sad that, you know, Alan Parker's no longer with us. But the stories slightly change over time. Mm. But just... It's interesting that the, the cast, their lives weren't that different mm. to the characters in the film. You know, one or two of them made it. You know, a couple of the girls became very successful actors. Uh, Deco, uh, Andrew Strong had a career. But some of them were like plucked out of nowhere, briefly had fame. And then it sort of they had to go back to the real world, which is what happens to the characters. And so it was interesting, sad, inspiring seeing how life imitated art here. Yeah, it is. Well, let me tell you about it. So as we've said, it's based on the 1987. I read 1986 as well. Book by Roddy Doyle. But the point being, he wrote it himself and he couldn't get it published. So he self-published it. Mm. I didn't know any of this because I remember reading the commitments and then I, and it's part of a trilogy. So there's the snapper and the van. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, and I, I read those when I was the right age. I was like making the bridge between like young people books and I was too young for like grown up people books. But I knew I wanted something in between. And because the way it's written is like it's in like the style of like Jimmy Rabbit's it's just dialogue, basically. Yeah. So if once you find your feet with the way that they talk, you're just in this sort of stream of consciousness. Um, right. And it's really and that's well, that was good for me at that age, basically, because I wasn't being asked to grasp huge concepts. You're just following yeah. these maze, like yeah, knocking yeah. around and doing whatever. And, and the idea came, he wanted to write a book about bringing a group of young people together he said there was huge unemployment uh in ireland at the time and it's he said it's a part of world um that it's a part of the world that's beloved but largely ignored and so he said he had to do the book about football boxing or music because those were the three ways out and he said he couldn't see football working on paper in a book and so he decided on music and then he picked a soul band because it's bigger than a normal band mm. so you could get more characters in it and that was his <laughs> decision made and also yeah. he said something which I, I picked up on more this time is there this, there's this huge north-south divide in Dublin and he really wanted to play on that and there are so many jokes about that because I only think about the north-south divide being in London but it's much bigger there where it's actually almost hatred mm. um, and, and certainly a burning resentment and so um, it was interesting that but yeah as you said no one wanted to publish it so he had to do it himself he did it himself but Elvis Costello reads it. Um, and oh. so Elvis Costello, he praised it. I don't know where it was. He just said, if you want to know what it's like being in a garage band, you should read this book. And so everyone's like, what is this book? And someone finds it and then it gets um, published. I don't, I'm quote marks properly, which is a bit disrespectful, but you know what I mean. Um, and then it, it's, I mean, those things are just so chancy, aren't they? Like Roddy Doyle is a brilliant writer. In 93, he won the Booker Prize. The books that, I can't remember what year they're from, um, that start with A Star Called Henry and they're a series mm. of books. A Star Called Henry, that book, you know when you know when I get obsessed over something and I said like how much I love the script when Harry met Sally, I think it's a person. I love A, a Star Called Henry so much, I think it's actually a person. Mm. That book's fucking incredible. It's, it's incredible. I know, but it's not a person. I know, I know. 
I mean, someone should have made it many years ago with Killian Murphy, is all I'll say, but it, maybe they did. Anyway, it's really, really brilliant. So, and also, when they were filming the commitments, Alan Parker said at the time that Roddy Doyle was like, I'm not going to be a writer. I'm just, I'm going to be, he was a teacher. I'm still going to stay being a teacher. But all the money, you know, not tons of money, but enough to like set himself up. And then, then he's off as a writer. But all of those things might not have happened. Like it's just so, mm. it's fluky. It's awful that this yep. amazing talent. So if Elvis Costello hadn't said the book was good, then where would we be? You know, I can't, it's, um, it's hard to imagine. So anyway, it's adapted for the screen by Roddy Doyle initially. Yeah, well, he, he well, firstly, he spoke to producers who wanted to make it into a movie as long as it changed the location to London or New York. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, he stuck to his guns. But yeah, he, he sold it, but insisted on writing the script himself, having had no screenwriting experience, much like Dan Aykroyd, actually, on Monday. <laughs> but it worked out for him. <laughs> uh, but Roddy Dawes said he wrote the first 24 pages, sent them off, and he was summoned to London. <laughs> And so he had. He said, I had holiday days to take from work. So he took time out of his teaching job to go to London. Yeah. And he said, these producers just sat me down and showed me how the 24 pages I'd written could become eight pages. And he said, it's the best lesson I ever got. Mm. Um, it taught him so much. And so, yeah, he wrote the script, but it wasn't... It wasn't what they wanted. No. It wasn't up to... I'm being very delicate because... It's rewritten, well, rewritten. It's another draftism by uh, Clement and Lafrené, who are extremely experienced and maybe don't have the sort of authenticity that Roddy Doyle would have, but they do know what they're doing. So Yeah. It, it, well, I mean, they said it wasn't a punch-up. We had to retell the story yeah. and had to give it these big beats that, you know... That you do. You, you do, you yeah. do. And, they, you know, these guys are proper experts in this kind of humour. Yes. But, yeah, I think that... It, Watching the behind the scenes stuff, it is interesting that this is such an Irish story written by an Irish person and then an English director and two English writers come in and retool it and make it what it is. And it's, yeah, but they're, you know, Alan Parker is, you know, was like an honorary Irishman after he made this, yeah. you know, I don't think he ever had to put his hand in his pocket if he was ever in a pub in Ireland. And Perfect. so, and so, yeah, but it is just funny that there, there is that sort of, I don't know. It's nice that it worked out because it might not have, and, and then it would have been. It would have been so easy to go. That's why it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. yeah we shouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't, shouldn't have let these English. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, Roddy Doyle has said over the years he then read a draft where his name was not on the script, and so you know that sounds pretty nasty. But it's one of those things that happens. You know, he didn't have to fight too hard to get it back, but he did get it back. But he, you know, it wasn't. Right. Someone didn't think that he might appreciate having his name on it. But interesting, he said he wasn't precious when they were working on it. He said, "I just wanted them to retain the spirit of the book, and they did." So yeah. I think, and that's smart, isn't it? I think, and and you know, he's found his way. Yeah, he's done it. all right. He's done all right. Yeah. So the casting is quite well known. I think. And it sounds like nice work if you can get it. Um, the casting directors, Ros and John, John Hubbard. Oh, they're funny. Yeah. So they spend a couple of months going around the pubs of Dublin, yep. listening to people. And they, they, what they really want is musicians who can act a bit because they want to keep it real in the filming of it. They want the music to be live where possible. Yeah. And they, and they wanted you to be able to identify with the kids. You know, they, they wanted them to be from the working class area with the same dreams and aspirations as the characters to, to, to add that reality. But it's funny, Alan Parker said to her, Roz, um, I want to take an organic approach to this casting. And she said, it's the first time I'd ever heard that word, not in reference to vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. But yeah, he said he didn't want movie stars because obviously he's Alan Parker. He can get movie stars for this. Yeah. But he said he wanted a freshness and an honesty and a truth. And because that's what he did on Fame and mm. that's what he did on Bugsy Malone. And it worked. Out of those two <laughs> films, I think only Jodie Foster was at all well-known. Yeah. And, and he launched, you know, a bunch of careers off the back of that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's 
it's a really dangerous approach, but I think it really pays off here. Well, they said, you know, Dublin as a city has got a lot of people who are musicians. It's not like going around, you know, obviously London, New York is different, but any other sort of town, you might be struggling, but everyone, I'm I'm stereotyping, but there's a lot of people that play instruments and sing in pubs. Well, of course there is, you know, that's part of the appeal of going to Dublin is those evenings in the pub. But yeah, he reckons there there was 1,200 bands in Dublin at the time, reckons they saw 3,000 kids, they were seeing buskers, they were literally seeing everyone. Um... Uh, and so, yeah, they, they they put the songs together, brought in session players, and 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 all these kids had to audition that way. Yeah. So this, I don't know if this is myth making, but I like it for it anyway. So we're getting towards the end of the process. Mm. They've got the soul songs they want. They haven't quite zeroed in on the lead singer, mm. and then in walks this sixteen-year-old son of the man who was doing temporary. Uh, vocals for the backing band. So yeah. he's called Andrew Strong. Yeah, his dad's Rob Strong, who, yeah. who's quite well known in Irish circles um, because they actually had a guy who was going to who was going to do that sing the lead, but Parker was having to cut some songs because this guy couldn't sing a couple of the songs. Yeah, and and so yeah, yeah. And, and and also um, in the in the script, he's described as a vain George Michael type. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's not what, what what Andrew Strong is. No, he's just this hulking voice. Like it's unreal how good he is. Like that's that is a voice that has been gifted to you from somewhere else. Like it makes no sense at no. that age as well. Yeah, and and even watching him talk at the time, he's sixteen. He doesn't look sixteen. He no. doesn't sound sixteen. And he and he said no one would believe me. And yeah, you're about twenty seven. Imagine opening your mouth and that is the noise that comes out. <laughs> well, they said they couldn't believe what what they were hearing. No, and so they put those songs back in. Yeah, just like fuck it, fuck it all else. Yeah. this is what we're gonna. This is what yeah. we're doing. Yeah, but but he struggled. His age, his maturity. Um, he said he found it hard because you start shooting at like nine in the morning he's having to do singing like that at nine in the morning no one can sing like that at nine in the morning Uh, but also um, he was as wild as he looks basically and so I think hearing behind the scenes stories him and Jimmy the Lips were the ones that were troublemakers. Yeah, I mean, there was. It's a, it sounds really arch because it was written and it's this written interview. But he got a record deal after, and you know the scene towards the end of the film where uh, Deco does have a record deal and he lobs a pint of Guinness at the booth window. So the quote from Alan Parker is like, "I don't really know what happened with Andrew. Maybe he was as tempestuous as Deco. Maybe he threw a pint of Guinness at someone." And he's joking, but he's. He's suggesting that his record career, his, sorry, his singing career didn't take off after the record deal in the way that it should have done, given his voice, because he had a bit of a temper. It is weird. He released a lot of albums. Yeah. But it is strange that it didn't, you know, you don't hear of him now. And and it's sad, really, because I think some of them would have carried on playing together. But he was, you know, he knew from the word go he wanted to be a solo artist. And he had no interest in, in collaborating with these people again. No. Which is kind of sad. But to be fair, I mean... They all had their own bands, so yeah. a lot of them were expecting to go back and play in their own bands afterwards. Well, so Glenn Hansard, he he's Outspan Foster. Is he called Outspan Foster? Outspan. Um, he who did once, so he got he got an Oscar for that, did he? For the yeah. for one of the songs, he's proper. And what is it? The Frames, his band. The Frames, yeah, yeah that's really it. good. So there's this. St- I mean, this could just be clickbait, but. They had to reschedule a day of shooting because Glenn Hansard has got a gig with the frames and he's not going to miss it. 
So they reschedule everything. Okay, whatever. And then he tells it that Alan Parker took him to one side and said, quote, there's always one on every movie I do. And this is Glenn Hansard saying, and he said a word, an awful word I won't repeat. And it was something very rude. And he said, I didn't think it would be you. So I think he might have called him the C word. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what else it could be that you'd be so bashful that you're like, I will not repeat that word. The thought of Alan Parker taking him to one side <laughs> and saying that, I didn't think it would be you. Yeah, is that's hilarious. Rough. Although yeah. I think it was Andrew Strong who said that you get being asked about what Alan Parker was like as a director and he said you know you get teachers some of them that are really tough really cruel really mean to you and some of them that are just very supportive and kind Alan was the former (laughs) 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 and I guess you've got a lot of um, non-professional youngsters there God imagine trying to corral all those kids and and, you know just just hearing them talk about the publicity tour they did afterwards I mean these people were were destroying their minibars in their hotels when they were travelling around America. Death by minibar, how glamorous. So, yeah, I mean, this is a hard thing to control. It's because you, you, when you do it, it's, like, it's called street casting, isn't it, now? And it's like you, you, you're not ready for any of it, and no. there's a lot of free shit you're about to get, and then you get it into your head that you could be doing this forever. And you're also, you're a teenager. You, the sensible part of your brain is yet to develop, and someone's just saying, have whatever you want, don't pay for it, and just hang out with all these people yeah. all day. Awesome. And of course yeah. you would tear through it. And the, and the actor who plays Jimmy Rabbit, I mean, Alan Parker said he was a bad influence on the oh, youngsters. Really? And he, 20 years later, is saying, no, I wasn't, while he's drinking a pint of Guinness and looks like he was a bad influence. <laughs> I think, A, he was a bad influencer, but he was a real mentor to them because even things like they didn't know how continuity worked. And no, you wouldn't. No, it's just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's mad that it came out as good as it did, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about it, shall we? I've got a couple more things to say. What have I got to say? So Joey the Lips, uh, in the script, he's short, fat and bald. Mm. Um, and they were going to cast a well-known rock star, Van Morrison, uh, oh, yeah! read for it. <laughs> yeah. um, but he thought the script was shit <laughs> and couldn't understand why they weren't using his music in the film. <laughs> he literally told... This is shit. Use brown eyed girl. <laughs> Um, but he was there that character's given them a link to the past and they thought it'd be fun to have an old guy with young guys I think that really works Um, and it was completely rewritten as well after they did a table read like lines yeah because he he got a sense the writers and the director got a sense of everyone's personality and so they were taking lines off one giving them to someone else and the girls were such better actors and had such confidence that they got an extra song and they got a lot more lines than they initially had so they bumped up their parts just having cast the women and seen them seen them together um the 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 screenwriter said that uh the cast uh swore more than we would choose to <laughs> and uh it was in excess of what was in the script so they found it quite shocking when they were watching the dailies and just seeing every other word um being feck and so as i said um unlike blues brothers everything is lived in this in this film uh because u2's engineers had come up with this technology that would allow them to shoot and record at the same time and so um Yeah, Alan Parker, although he had these issues, he said that it was the only film he's ever made where he couldn't wait to get to work. It would have been incredible, wouldn't it? Like, Mm. just the 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 quality of them as a band and the fact that it's live, like, what it would just be so such an immersive experience. Mm. Yeah, it just sounds amazing. Great. Okay, so here we go. So uh, Jimmy Rabbit, right? He's into music and also mind sweeping at a wedding, which I do appreciate. Yeah, um, good. For sure, you. I've done it. Sure, I've done it. <laughs> What's the film where he's mind sweeping and it's just, there's a cigarette butt in it? Oh, that sounds Jim familiar. Carey, it's Probably. Bill Murray, it's oh, it'll come to me. Um, but um, 
Yeah, that's, uh, he's played by Robert Arkins. So the sad thing that the, 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 the um, casting directors were saying, that they felt bad with him, he auditioned as a musician. He was the most talented musician of all of them. He could play like 10 different instruments. He doesn't get to play an instrument once during the film or sing. And oh, he's, still okay. in, he's one of the few, few of them that's still in music. And he wasn't an actor. So he, I mean, it's so funny that he got cast, but I think he gives a really lovely performance. Me too. Um, and I feel, I feel sad that he didn't really have a, a, an acting career, but it's because he he's a music producer now. He just had no interest in this world but yeah yeah, they said they felt guilty not giving him a music role (laughs) so we see Deco sing at this wedding now this is me doing my thing which is like he's pissed so he's not very good yet Mm. but then when Jimmy asks him later to be in the band Jimmy says oh I saw you at the wedding and and I thought you were good and so me being me and I'm not saying this is right but there's a part of my brain which didn't think this when I saw it when I was younger that's tempted to chuck in like a really what would be a very typical story beat this is what I wanted to talk to you about actually both of these films I think would benefit but it's me being very mainstream from more sports movie beats Mm -hmm. because what you would do what I would do because I'm not Clement and Lefrenny is Deco gets up to sing at the wedding he's hammered so he's no good then when Jimmy's looking for a singer Deco turns up he says not you you're rubbish and Mm. then he belts it out because he's sober and he's awesome and it's the surprise of like this kid's got something yeah that's what I yeah agreed because you you, you, the surprise is he's good at the wedding but you you can you can Bring that for out. That yeah, no, that's yeah. really that's a really good idea. Uh, we're learning all this through voiceover, though, Vicky. We are, yeah. And so again, um, I'm a nightmare, aren't I? But because it was a very good book, <laughs> it's fine by me. Yeah, but I, well, I don't have the blank. I've changed my tune since doing this podcast. Yeah. I don't like voiceover, but I don't have a blanket ban on it, and I think it yeah. works really well here, including the way they do it sometimes, where he's sort of interviewing himself as if he's on the telly. Yeah. I think stuff like that really works. Yeah, there's ways of getting away with it. Yeah. Isn't there? So Jimmy's putting the band together. And and this band, he wants them to focus on sex and the music of the streets, which to him is soul. Mm, Dublin soul. Yeah. So the auditions commence. I'm a very, I'm a sucker for like quick cuts, like the yes. door slam, the different thing. I, I just love all of that. But they're too rock. They're too folk. Yeah. They're too new wave. They're too acapella. You need, you need a singer. The dad ass. <laughs> oh that, yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> yeah. My dad would be exactly the same. Yeah, Cole Meany, he's so Meany. good. He's so good. He's in the whole trilogy as well. I yeah, didn't realise. He he's, he's um, yeah. I mean, who are influences? Billy and the Bollocks, <laughs> Door Shuts, you too, Door Shuts. <laughs> yeah. um, and the Digger Morrissey, which you know I've always got time for. Yeah, I, I did get sad though. At one point, it's a sort of electro bands from the eighties. They're listening, just having digs at all my favourite bands. But I'm like, no, nah, it's funny. It's still funny. It's still funny. It. it it, that's obviously that's not its fault that hasn't aged as well because now we're like oh okay new wave and whatever electro it's like that's cool that's fine yeah, but like, yeah. it's obviously not soul yes. but it's so niche now to be like no, that's not quite right because those people have got presents and all yep, the rest of it yeah um, <laughs> that even says <laughs> bet you two are shitting themselves <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's it he puts down Depeche Mode and Aztec cameras art school kids yeah um, harsh but fair sure still like them um the band comes together, we get the girls, that's Bernie, Imelda and Natalie. I don't appreciate, Mr Parker, um, the shot of Imelda uh, when they're going to meet the boys and he has her stop in front of the camera and lift her skirt up so she's hitching up her tights. I get that Imelda is uh, a sex pot, parlance of the time, and I get that she's fit and that the boys like her, but that, you know the language of film, she's not in front of the boys. Mr Parker has shot that for us. So that we can see her legs, and it's like I'm not, I'm, I'm not down with that. It's of its time and all that. Thirteen-year-old me was very much down for that. Sure, what of course, an, that's what, why he's doing it. What an excellent scene! <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> it just pissed me off, but whatever. 
let's have a break before we get to this bit because this next bit is uh, is quite complex. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. All right, so Jimmy's got his band. So to motivate his band, he tells them, these are his words in the film, the Irish are the blacks of Europe and Dubliners are the blacks of Ireland and the North Side Dubliners are the blacks of Dublin. So say it once and say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Okay, so it's not ideal, right? But it could have been worse because in the book, Jimmy Rabbit uses the N-word. Yeah. The book was written a while ago and when I read it, which was you know quite a while after it was written, it was still believable to me that the character of Jimmy Rabbit in 1987 would have used that word. But by the time you get to 91, Alan Parker, like, thank God, like, wants it changing because the world has changed a lot and you're making a movie that's broad with mass appeal and Jimmy Rabbit doesn't have the screen time that Jimmy Rabbit has in the book. In the book, those are his books, like the trilogy is about him. So you get time to understand him more as a person and why he'd use that word without considering himself racist, of course. But you don't have that time here. So you cannot, you, I mean, you can't use it anyway, but you, it's a very sensible decision to move away from the book. Roddy Doll maintains that they should have used the N-word, which is what he wrote in the script. I know, I just find, I just he disagree said, he with said, him so strongly. I agree, I disagree as well, but yeah. he said it's the taboo of the word is what gives it its power. But I just don't buy it. And, it, uh, uh, you know, Alan Parker literally said to him, a white character can't say that. I don't care the context. Yeah. And he said, fine. I disagree, yeah. but you're the director. And Thank so, God. yeah, but, um, but that became like one of the most famous things about the commitments. That was the line that buttoned the trailer that everyone yeah, was, it was like, yeah. yeah. And it's, it is a funny line, but it's, yeah, it's not, it's not great. But it's also quite, uh, there's another way of looking at it, which I also agree with. So they've got borrowed blackness, right? 
And that's quite sweet. They are sweet kids. They're innocent kids. The connection that Jimmy sees with the blackness of that music with him is that they're from one of the poorest countries in the EU. And that even though Jimmy can't see that although things are bad for him and his friends, they're not as bad as they would be if they were black people because they don't have to put up with the racism and discrimination that they otherwise would. So they've got a different experience, but they see it as a connection. And it's quite a a wholesome thing that they think they see. and, And racist people push that connection on them because the famous sign is no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yeah. And so that connection was made for them. Um, I do like that it takes place in a video store that where they're advertising Alan Parker week in the background. And there's, never... there's even a cardboard cutout of him. Is there really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and also he's standing in front of a poster for the film Leviathan. <laughs> Alex, do you want to talk about the film Leviathan? <laughs> oh, I love Leviathan. It's not available. Oh, okay. well, we're going to do it rising one day, aren't we? <laughs> can we, Daddy? Mummy and Daddy, can we do it? We're always like, yeah, fucking hell, I don't mind. But That's it's it. not available. <laughs> <laughs> no, you could do it a week when I'm away. <laughs> Um, and also, uh, do you think we're, we're, we're looking at poverty porn here? <clears throat> the shots that Alan Parker is doing of, of poor kids on the streets. Yeah. Um, it's slice of life stuff yeah. in the alleyways. I, you know, my mum my my grew up in Ireland. Like, it's fires in streets, slingshots. That like, dead that, horse in the street later. Yeah. Like, what, that blew my mind. That, I mean, that rings true of my mum's reality, I guess, when she was a kid. And this was a very bad time to live in Dublin. But, yeah. you know... I don't know, is is he using, I don't know, is he exploiting that poverty? As a sort of motif kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I didn't feel it, but that's uh, that's my blind spot, isn't it? Like, I, re- I recognise those, the, the market felt like somewhere where, uh, you know, familiar to me from Blackburn and yeah. um, Blackpool and Fleetwood and all those places that we used to go and the alleyways and whatever. But then when he goes to when Jimmy goes to Bernie's house and it is just fucking hard work, like all those kids and all the rest of it, like I wasn't so sure about Yeah, that. and there is actually a documentary on one or one of the behind the scenes where they go back to that council estate and things have just got worse. It's actually quite heartbreaking. Yeah. Um so yeah, I guess he's he's telling a bunch of stories in one here. I just I just wonder. But no, I think I think he's he's making important points, I yeah. guess. And that... it works for the characters and therefore yeah. it's all okay. Yeah. So Joey the Lips, right, so you said before that he, I think Joey the Lips is very important. He's a bit creepy, which we'll come back to, but an actual grown up and no shade on the rest of the cast, but an actual actor is here to yes. anchor the whole thing, and that's I mean, so important. Yeah, he's he's a fa- it's a fantastic performance. Yeah, I mean they talk about how good an actor he is. As I say, watching him in this pub talking about the film with his pint, he seems very similar to Jimmy Rabbit. <laughs> and so they've got this uh, sense of purpose, this sense of mission. Mm. We've got the engine with Joey the Lips about whether or not his stories are made up. Yeah, does so he really he, know Elvis? He's jammed with BB King. Yeah, he's hung out with Elvis. Uh, they're not sure. They call him Jimmy the Bollocks Rabbit. <laughs> 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 he, he, yeah, he, he, Otis Redding, Sam Cooke, he jammed with Stevie Wonder when he was 11, but then he got tired of the road. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got the patter in it, and so him and Jimmy naturally connect. Um, but, I, you know, I like him. I like seeing him. I think I think he's good for the band. Yeah, and he brings this homespun wisdom about soul. Like, he got, he's got these great speeches about, you know, why I love soul. Like his there is mum, a... I find his mum upsetting, though. Like, <laughs> that mum character that's sort of wasting away in the corner, I just find that really upsetting. Setting. Mm. I don't know why. But real. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel, yeah, I've seen, I've seen people like that. Yeah. So we get our first Mustang Sally. Now, again, sports movie ideas. The band are shit, so that's good. They sound crap. They sound under-rehearsed and nervous. But Deco's awesome. So there will be no distance travelled for him between 
this version of Mustang Sally and when we get to the big gig at the end. But the distance travel for the band is significant, so that's fine. Yeah, and maybe, you know, maybe that makes sense for the story in that he's the one that gets the record contract at the end. Mm. He, he, he arrived fully formed, yeah. and so he was always going to be apart from them. Uh, we get Mr. Pitiful, which I always love. Derek gets electrocuted. Bernie shags Joey, which I find so upsetting because it, it, I just don't get, I do not get the appeal of that man, but okay. Um, Imelda leaves just as quickly. She comes back. <laughs> they, these are like pretend Jeopardy things to me. Yeah, because, refusal of the calls. Yeah, super quick. <laughs> like, like Imelda gets on the ferry and then just comes back. She does. Um, because Deco is such a presence, I do feel like it, it, it's fine. You know, if, if Andrew Strong walks into your auditions and does that thing, you are helpless. Like what you cannot say no. But if Derek and Imelda left the band forever at this point in the film, I think you'd be like, I don't care because you really invested in him as a singer. Because the voice, it could just be, you know, my affection for the soundtrack from childhood but all you want to do is hear that boy sing all the time yeah and you wonder what the film would have been if yeah, were it yeah. not for him I yeah. I, i've always thought that even at the time it's like is this a great movie without him yeah it's that you're talking about the magic dust sprinkled on it he's the magic yes it's it's and that's why you sort of come back to rewatch it because it's just when he opens his mouth it's 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 it's, it's susan boyle yeah, That's God, what I was it just going to say, it's so weird because in the I don't watch those shows if they're even still on anymore, but I did. I was not Britain's Got Talent as so much, but God, X Factor and early days, you know, like pop yeah. stars and yeah, pop yeah. world or whatever it was called. And they're so good. Those The producers and the makers of those shows are so good. And it got a bit hammy and it got a bit cynical. But initially of like the suspense of like the person walks into the room and before it was very cruel where they were really ripping the piss, but Susan Boyle being the sort of par exemplar of yeah. that, in walks this woman, you're expecting nothing and she opens her mouth and it's like... I dreamed a dream in time gone by. Ta-da! Like, and it's... And everyone is screaming at the telly. And it's that's this film, basically. Yeah. So for two hours, screaming at the telly kind of thing. I love, love, love that even though Deco's got this voice, they all hate him and they think he's a disgusting slob because he kind of is. Like, I love the fact that his voice doesn't act as a charm offensive in any way. He doesn't get any of the girls. The creepy old man yeah, yeah. the girls. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and I, it is memorable, though, the fact that Jimmy does get the girls. It might be a bit grim, but... I mean, if they're in their twenties, like they can do what they like, yeah, and of and they can. and and it's just funny that this bloke who doesn't seem to be attractive at all just has this. It, it probably ties in with the, the 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 you know the twist at the end with him that like yeah. he's just capable of anything. This guy, <laughs> yeah. he's just such a dark horse. He's a great musician. The women love him. He's and he's had this life. That, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's the story doesn't really matter to me at this point. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. I'm not really watching it for the story because it hasn't got the beats that I want from a story like this, which is sports movie, which is we're building to the final match, the final show, and they will or will not win against all the odds kind of thing. But yeah. They'll have a magic weapon, a secret that they dare not unleash until the final act. That's not the case with this film. So it's fine because I'm very invested in the music. So we get hard to handle, which I love. And they're making money and they're talking to the press. There's that dead horse I mentioned. I find that that's very memorable. We, um, and we get a horse in a lift quite a long time before True Lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Um, who was it? Was it Alan Parker who said, it seems like a surreal moment and it seems like it is difficult when you think of an English person being like, oh yeah, they put horses in lifts. But he was on an estate yeah. doing the filming and he saw a horse on yeah, the balcony. He's yeah. like, well, how did you get the fucking horse up there? Yeah, yeah. we've got to put it in the film. Yeah. Um, 
and we're building to the final gig and we just get this injection of story, which I don't mind. Uh, Roddy Doe wasn't a huge fan of it, but maybe he's changed his mind, which is will or will not Wilson Pickett turn up? Because Joey says he knows him and if he knows him, can he get him to come to the gig? Because that will be transformational for them. Yeah, I, I think it's really important to add some jeopardy yes. to it. And, and actually, it, 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 it puts this quite tragic button on the film you know of how close you've got to to greatness it's yeah. not just with the band but with the person it's like it was just a, it was just a car ride away so i want to talk a little bit about um i'm gonna say, I'm, I'm not gonna blush but it doesn't matter because it's a podcast uh but the song try a little tenderness <laughs> because yeah. this bloody song right when my parents had the soundtrack i would listen to it. we would listen to it always but i would listen to it by myself so the, the, and I used to listen to Try a Little Tenderness more than any other song because I thought it was so grown up. I thought it was a poor, it, to my at my age at the time, which would have been like ugh, 13 maybe, it was a portal to another world and that other world had what I would have understood as sex in it mm-hmm. because this to me is just so sexy. Yeah. Not not sexy, but it's got sex in it. And I didn't know really what that was, I was but I understood that I, this song was it. I was going to say, I don't think his face when he's singing this one is that sexy. No, but this is the thing. I, you know, it's, soundtrack first for me. It's so. ridiculous, the, the expressions he's making, but I like it because that's who he is. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's, it's just magic. I mean, sex, I suppose so. I, th- I just really think so. You know when you just think something is like sort of steeped in it, but I, for reasons I cannot articulate, because in my 13-year-old head, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I know that that's a thing. <laughs> so, oh, I think Soul is the only music to shag to. Sure, that's nice to know. <laughs> my, I mean, if you're over my house and I put on Sam Cooke... Run. Watch out. <laughs> Get comfortable. <laughs> yes, I will have that other drink. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm nervous. Oh dear! I mean, Sam Cooke is. I know that. I know the song you mean. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so it's a yes. Brilliant. It's a yes from me. It's a yes. Um, but Jimmy, while they're doing try little tenderness, Jimmy's outside, and you can feel his anxiety waiting yeah. for Wilson Pickett. And I've had that anxiety of waiting for Wilson Pickett. No, waiting for Thor. So oh, okay. I, I, I helped organise an event called Kapow Comic Con in North London mm-hmm. a long time ago with Mark Miller, comic book writer. And the climax was me on stage interviewing the two actors they'd cast in the Thor movie who didn't really know at the time. So it was Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston. Right. So I'm waiting on stage with, with my earpiece in and they're saying, oh, I'm not sure they're going to come. And there is a crowd in front of me all standing, waiting. Yeah. I'm having to fill time. Mark comes on fill ta- Phil's time. We're doing it together. And then I fucking run off. I'm like, fuck this. Mark, Mark's better than this than me. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> and I went backstage and they're just, and then I'm getting, I'm getting updates at where they are in the car. But if they don't make it in time, yeah. it's like that Alan Partridge when he's waiting for, who is it? Roger Moore. <laughs> Roger Moore's at Heston Services or something. <laughs> so, yeah, it was terrifying though because I didn't know what was going to happen. Did Hiddleston turn up? They turned I'm surprised up. by that. <laughs> Hiddleston and Hemsworth turned up, thank oh God. God. I mean, late, so we only got five minutes, but at least people didn't frigging riot because people had waited all weekend to see live the, the, the nerves. Thor and Loki. <laughs> so, yeah, I could feel Jimmy's anxiety here. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Sean Hughes pops up. I'd forgotten he was in this yeah. uh, to sign the band. I mean, that was another big thing for me. Sean Hughes yeah. he lived in Croydon at the time he's a big Palace fan yeah um, he was supposed to be my first ever interview when I, my first job was working for Crystal Palace interviewing celebrity fans was it really yeah I and, didn't know and, that. and they, uh, they what s- do you get paid yeah 
So that's like your, did you peak so soon kind of thing? Because that's like your best job ever and it's been downhill from there. Well, no, because this, it, it's, I'm still scarred from this. So they said, here's Sean's number. He's expecting your call at this time on this day. And you're like, I made it. And, then, and it's like, my, he was my favourite comedian. Right. And so I phoned up and I said, hi, it's Chris from Crystal Palace to ask you a few questions. And the questions were literally like, who's your favourite player? What's who's your favourite player? Game? And, um, and he said, no, I don't, I don't want to do this. Oh, and I was no. like, what? He said... I've told the club I'm never doing this. I can't believe you've got my number and you're calling me. I oh, said, oh, I'm God. sorry. I didn't, I didn't. And he just hung up on me. Oh my God. And I was like, oh. That's awful. Oh. And then I had to go back to the club and say, oh, he didn't want to, he didn't want to do and it. Like, you're fired, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I don't think I like this journalism. I hate journalism. this job. <laughs> I'm not door knocking. Like, you just had to do cold calling and you got told to fuck off. That's horrendous. By Sean Hughes. By Sean Hughes. Oh, I know. God bless him. I know. Uh, so, they... He's going to sign the band. So this is like sports movie B. Everything has come good, even though Wilson Pickett hasn't turned up. But they just start fighting again. It's not for great reasons, I don't think. It, it doesn't matter to me because they're kids, but it just feels a bit tacked on. Like all the girls are pissed off because they've all been seeing Joey. Yeah, the boys just can't his... get on. They all hate Deco. Yeah, it's his fucking dick is the reason for it. Jimmy's dick, <laughs> which someone says earlier is, is on steroids. <laughs> yeah. And so, the... do you think they need better reasons to be arguing? Then is that what you're saying? Uh, uh, yes. I can see why they don't like Deco. There is oh something... god, 100%. yeah, yeah, yeah. That works. And maybe it's just the girls. Like you, you've pitted the. It's just me you've pitted the girls against each other over a boy yeah uh, you know I'm not like super keen on that yeah understood um, the band breaks up now there's Joey's line and I can't remember if it's here if it's in another uh, part of the film but it's this is what buttons the moment which is Jimmy has allowed them the band to see themselves in a higher place like to, to get above their kind of yeah. Uh, station, effectively. Yeah. The idea is is that he's raised their expectations. Yes. He's lifted their horizons. Yeah, and that's, that's the poetry it. and what they've achieved. And that's true. And I think and that's lovely. beautiful. Yeah, I think that it works. Is, it is really beautiful. And as I said, for some of these people in real life, that's what happened. You know, these actors, it's, you know, one of them is in Pulp Fiction know, two years yeah, later. That's amazing. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. From the, Literally plucked from the streets, so many of them. Yeah. And then you, you get that colder where they, it shows what happened to the characters, the fictional yeah. characters. Well, Mr. Busted. Pickett shows up for first. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it was up. all real. It so was all Joey real. Jimmy was telling the truth because they do throw you off so many times. I think especially that Elvis story yes. is so unbelievable yeah. that at that point you're like, well, this is, this is clearly bollocks at yes, this point and definitely. he's doing it to impress people yeah. and then it wasn't it true. Was, yeah, he did it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you've got Jimmy interviewing himself Um yeah, and, it's and he like, said this. He said this was his hardest day on set because he said I wasn't a professional actor, and he said they didn't know how to end the film. Really, he said that's what I think happened, and so they just gave me this speech and said do it, and I had to learn it and do it. And he said I just I couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't learn it that quickly, and so that was the day he felt like he was really out of his depth, and he exposed, thinks it's because they yeah. weren't properly prepped. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's the, the beat is that, you know, for one crazy moment, they had it all. And even though it wasn't a lot, it was a lot to them and, and all the rest of that. And then some stuff about where, White a Shade of Pale that just frustrates me because I think White a Shade of Pale was a bigger deal back then about the mystery of the lyrics and whatever. It's not its fault it hasn't aged well, but buttoning it on White a Shade of Pale means nothing to me. So I'd rather stay with the high of like, we've lifted our horizons. I agree. I, I guess they did have the conversation about what it means earlier in the film. Yeah. So it's not come completely out of nowhere, but, but he, yeah, honest. it's just I guess it means it means that he can end the film by saying "fucked if I know," which is I guess in keeping with the language and the attitudes of That's, the characters. Yeah, but I agree that I guess because 
because seeing where they all are isn't very satisfying, I don't think. Deco got a recording contract but became a bigger prick. Mm. Alan, Ca- Alan Parker cameos in that scene with him. Oh, is he in the... Yeah, he's in, he's in the moment where we're looking at Deco. Natalie became big. Joe's touring with someone who died in 1982. That's quite funny. But I don't know, would that be satisfying, just stopping seeing that nothing really happened? I feel a bit sorry for Imelda because she's like she got mm. married to whoever, you know, the person they yeah. weren't keen on and he doesn't let her sing anymore. It's like, well, that feels a bit depressing and sad, but never yeah. mind. Uh, yeah, and then that's it. The film is finished. Yeah. So they were approached to sign a record deal and, f- and have a real-life commitments band. Oh. Yeah, but I don't know. You just got a sense that... They got on in pockets, but they didn't all get on as a group. And as I said, I think you get a vibe that Andrew Strong didn't want to be part of this. He, he had an ego and he had plans and he had ambitions. And so he went off on his own. They were, they, were, they were in their own band. So they went to America together a year later and reconnected. But went to all these premieres. I wrote down demolished minibars. <laughs> but he said also we were all sort of vying for attention when we were being interviewed and on red carpets. And so yeah. they weren't really a team. And some wanted to tour, some, some didn't. And I, I, know, I think it's sad. I would like to see the commitments now. Yeah. I mean, God, do you know what it reminds me of? Um, Little Mix, previously called Rhythm Mix, because <laughs> those shows put those kids together and Little Mix, obviously, they come across, whether they do or they don't, I don't know, I think they probably do, but they come across as like four girls, but bear in mind that the show put them together, X Factor, they were there as solo artists, mm. but they went on to be like the biggest selling UK female mm. pop actor, whatever. And it's like, God, it's so lucky that you got on because you look at Girls Aloud, who were also ginormous, but they didn't really get on because you've got everyone thinks they can sing and everybody wants the attention and putting four people together who thought they were going to be, they were going to win X Factor as a solo artist could have gone so wrong. I think of Little Mix frequently about team spirit and collaboration. Do they get on? I think they, I think they do. Yeah. Or they make a good show of acting like they do. Yeah. Whether or not it's just to sell records, I'm unsure. I thought they didn't like one of them. Oh, God, don't say that. <laughs> hey, you guys, it's Susan Morad right back here on Clever News. And we have some heartbreaking news for all mixers out there. After nine years together, Jessie Nelson just officially announced that she has quit Little Mix. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I that. don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, right, I think I think we're done. On on that note, on little mix. <laughs> on little mix. Apologies to our American listeners. <laughs> They're probably massive. They, they are probably yeah. yeah. One Direction did it, didn't they? There's no reason why yeah. Little Mix did. I just don't know. Uh, right, let's do the bits. What's your best scene? I mean, all right. The best joke in the film, which we didn't mention, I'll mention. Give a credit to now. And Alan Parker says that he thinks it's the best scene in the film is when he goes to confession and the priest says Percy Sledge. <laughs> it was Percy Sledge. <laughs> It's that so funny. It's the perfect joke. It is. It's good. the perfect joke. Yeah. But I can't put a joke in. It's got to be a song, a musical performance. And I think I'm going to go with Try a Little Tenderness. Oh, it's my best scene too. Yeah. It's awesome. You can see why the crowd are just obsessed. When I used to listen to the soundtrack before I'd seen the film, I could hear that in that music would make a crowd go wild. And then seeing it for real is amazing. The, we should also credit the crowd shots are amazing in this film because they're just real. They're yeah. people having laughing, crying and having proper joy watching yeah. this band which you know you would if you were at the front of Yeah, that. his voice would make you cry. Yeah. It's amazing. I get I get the most inane grin on my face when I'm at the front <laughs> at a gig hearing something I like. Like Do I you can't go to the front. Well, I used to, obviously. Not anymore. Of course I don't anymore. No, you get killed. I'm in my 40s. Yeah, but what about I, if you need a wee? I used to be young. <laughs> I used to be young. What you, I've never been to that. As much as I've loved people and been obsessed, and you know what I'm like when yeah. I get into something, I've never gone to the front because like, bar, innit? Like, it's bar's too no, far totally. behind The you. last time I went to the front was about 
ten years, eight years ago, maybe. Right, take that. Prince. <laughs> oh shit! When he did, he did, he did, a, he did a thing in London. He did, a, he did about uh, three weeks yeah. and got to the front for the for the first sort of half, mm-hmm. and then needed a week. And then, well, no, just uh, and, then, and then I was at the bar at the back. But the second half, it was just jamming for an hour. I was like, I'm fine with this. <laughs> what was good about that as well is that is they were kicking people out who pulled out a phone to film, oh, and really? I saw people leaving in tears, but they were getting, and I was happy they were crying. Oh no, because that was the rule. They said it a million times, and then if you get your camera out to film you've only got yourself to blame oh wow brutal well done prince r.i.p they're all <laughs> fucking dead music's not been the same since who uh who died who did he say roy orbison died roy orbison yeah he's right that's the other yeah there's so much my this it just feels like a family movie in that my mum and dad loved the music that was in the commitments but my grandparents loved like elvis and roy orbison so it's yeah. like it had like 24 hours to tulsa i heard i've heard so many times in my life in a flea market in Fleetwood. Those memories are so sharp. <laughs> like, oh, dear. Uh, yeah, so try a little tenderness is also mine. Uh, what's your most valuable whatever? Andrew Strong. Yeah, yeah. My, I'm, mine's the soundtrack because it just is. Okay. Um, uh, what would you change? What's your one change? Um, I've got one if you want me to go. Well, I don't, could there be... <laughs> Could there be a black person in this band? Yeah. Is it the ultimate appropriation in a way that Blues Brothers isn't? Like, could Jimmy be black? And I was yeah. thinking, well, how many, you know, black people were in Dublin at this time? And then I'm thinking, well, hold on. Phil Linnett's my favourite frontman of yeah. any band ever. That's who he was. <laughs> That's so could true. they have found a Phil Linnett-like character? I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Does it upset the balance? Is, am, am I, am I, is that a stupid thing to say? I don't know. But I just wondered. Yeah. Um commitment so white hashtag sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i wish they'd become a real band yeah mine is so you know jimmy goes to bernie's flat and there's all those kids in the high chair and her mum's pregnant and it's all and she's like i need this band more than anyone because mm. i need to get out of this house that's a very honest uh moment jimmy says to her i need you because you're the best singer and she goes oh she goes are oh, you just saying that so you can get the other girls when he said it to her, I believed him because I know he's trying to play her a little bit because he doesn't want her to leave and he does want those other girls. But to tell her she's the best singer, I thought, oh, he's telling the truth. And then it turns out that Natalie's the best singer and Bernie never gets a solo. And I wanted her to have her moment. Mm. Natalie, I hadn't even clocked that. I, just, I was waiting for it. because I thought a, they all got a solo, but does she not get she, one? I honestly don't think she does. <clears throat> or if she does, I, I, I missed it because it's not sort of grand enough. Like He says you're the best singer. I want to see a story thread for her where she's... Mm. She doesn't believe him. She refutes it. She's like, no, I'm not. And then she comes into her power and then she belts one out at the end. That's what I want. Would have been good. That's it. We've, we're finished. Excellent. Okay. Shall I do it? Okay, I'm going to do it. So it's time for the verdict. Okay, it's time for the verdict. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> you want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. <laughs> well, he's not here. What Someone's to, got to do to it. annoy me. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to piss you off. Um, okay, so Alex would be picking. I think the first person we pick to choose is you, Vicky. Okay. The Blues Brothers is funny and it's all starry and whatnot. And I do not want to be respect- disrespectful of what I know is much loved, but it just isn't for me. Um, all these silly things that I enjoy, such as story and character and conflict and conflict that connects story with character. Um, it's not like the commitments is drowning in that shit either. Like it does kind of move along in the sort of vignettes. They're both super fun, 
they could both do with some sports movie beats and the underdog making it against the odds, in my opinion. But the commitments just nudges it because I don't see the Blues Brothers. It's too hard to watch with modern eyes. It's too anarchic for my tastes. Yep. So the commitments. Yep. Uh, good choice. Um, Alex Zane uh, messaged me and said, for the record, Blues Brothers gets my vote. Great. Now, it's very important you send a, a reason <laughs> when you're doing this. I'll tell him this. Tell you this now, Vicky. Otherwise, uh, it makes this section not as good. Uh, but he hasn't put a reason because he can't justify it. Because it isn't the better film. He's picked the Blues Brothers because he loves the Blues Brothers. But the winner this week is The Commitments. Yeah, Because that's what I'm voting for because it is the best film. Um, I don't understand the Blues Brothers. Uh, it's the, Good music is for me. Miming isn't, though. And nor are lengthy car chases and pile-ups. The Commitments is just for me. The music is live. I think the story's lovely and inspiring. I think the characters are great. I want to have a pint with them. And I've heard all your criticisms of it and i agree with most of them but i think the film is very nearly perfect for me i just love it so much there's no contest the commitments is 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 the winner that's nice so yes we have a winner i think we're going to piss off a lot of listeners by doing that one but hey ho you've got to go with your heart for me there was just no no even close no not even close but when we put it up we had people saying we love the blues brothers um so sorry if we've upset you but we went with our hearts um right next week's films so i said my clue was do you want to do it vicky uh, you're not the Messiah. You're a very naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> because I added, uh, we're talking God com- complexes with our villains in these movies. Uh, the films we're doing, and I want to remind listeners, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Yeah. Because the films we're doing next week are seven yeah. and sore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good week. Yeah. Uh, two cracking films to get our teeth into, literally and metaphorically. Uh, does that work? I don't know if that works. Uh, right. <laughs> um, so, we're done. If that episode uh, was music to your ears, send it to a friend, get them to send it to a friend, get them to send it to a friend, get them to send it to a friend, by the end of the month, we'll be the biggest podcast in the world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if not, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and the like and we'll be back next week with Seven. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.